One year, I kind of got an idea, you know, I want to try trap. I like to trap, I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money hand over fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the furball. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Representing trappers in a positive light. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Perfect and Game magazine. There's structure from Perry Gorgon. Perk Lennon's articles, the Perk Lennon's ads. Information, trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. All right, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet because work it ahead of time to build big trapping. If you got very much the same as the you got bogged down. They started talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't know, get them better. Trying to set predator traps and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like it gets sheared. You better edit this part out. Yeah, we better. Back in the first shed. This is Trapping Today. I'm Jeremiah Wood. Thank you for tuning in. We are brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures. K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S dot com. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. Cotsbros has a full line of trapping supplies from traps and snares, books, DVDs, full selection of baits and lures, everything you need to get started on the trap line. We're also brought to you by Onyx Maps. Turn your phone into a fully functioning GPS. Mark your trap locations, get landowner information, view aerial imagery, figure out where you're going and use it for so many different things on and off the trap line. Go to onyxmaps.com. Use the promo code TRAP, T-R-A-P, for 20% off. And finally, we're brought to you by the Trapping Today store. TrappingTodayStore.com, where you can find my lures and books and the Mustela t-shirt and everything else you might need. Actually, that's all you have right there for now. But I'm going to be adding some more stuff to the store at some point here uh, moving, moving on. But all right, in tonight's episode, I'm a little distracted. I have a audience member in the fur shed my uh seven-year-old son so he's just kind of sitting in and uh you probably can't hear him back there but i've asked him to keep it down just a little bit unless he has something important about trapping to say so uh yeah anyway we're having a good day today and we do have traps in the ground for the first time in about a week or so so anyway um just to catch up tonight we're going to catch up on a bunch of different things we're going to do a variety of uh, topics and then probably next week we got uh, another interview uh, another final portion of a sit down with josh from alaska we'll talk a little bit more about alaska trapping and then a couple of different things uh, moving forward a couple of things that hopefully will work out depends on whether we can get them scheduled or not. Sometimes scheduling this time of year can be a bit of a challenge So with with uh, different people. So we'll, we'll look forward to that. Now, update on the Kellen campaign. A few episodes back, for a while we uh, were on this campaign to try to get Kellen Cotts on the podcast. He's got a lot of interesting things, I think, to say, and a lot of experience both in trapping and, and lure making and running the supply business side of things. So thank you so much, guys. Uh, the Cots Bros were overwhelmed with 
responses and requests from you guys to get Kellen on the podcast. Um, however, we lost the election. The campaign is over and we lost. So uh, we're not going to get Kellen on right now. Um, and that's just the way it's going to be. So sorry that that didn't work out. But um, we'll back off a little bit and give Kellen a break. He's super busy. They're absolutely swamped right now trying to fulfill orders and he just doesn't have the time to do it so thanks so much for those of you who have uh, requested that and hopefully he'll consider in the future and if not hey we'll we'll be all right we're gonna survive (laughs) so anyway that's that for the Kellen campaign Um, a a few episodes back I had a I did an episode on trapping around dogs and that was one of the more popular episodes that I've done here this winter. Got a lot of great feedback, had a a lot of downloads on it. It was great to see. And we talked about a bunch of different scenarios where, you know, you as a trapper need to navigate, you know, trying to avoid catching dogs and traps and avoid the public relation issue associated with that and everything. And this is, this is so uh, timely that this happened to me today. So, um, we had a spot across the road from the house where me and the boys were dumping our beaver carcasses and scraps and stuff, and uh, we set up a, a game camera. And so we were. Um, all right, so so my son's gonna gonna tell tell us a little bit about what happened with that game camera. So we were watching the camera, and there was a car that drove in, and they had a dog. <laughs> yeah. What else did you see on the camera? kind of animals did we have coming into our bay? Yeah, coyote, fisher, and two raccoons. What else? Uh, what's it called? Two foxes. Yeah, so we had a couple foxes, a coyote, a couple oh, raccoons, a fisher. What else? Also birds. Yeah, birds. Yeah, a lot of birds, crows. But anyway, uh, we did we did catch the fisher, didn't we? So that was good. Um, but uh, we had a 220 set up in a box and the Lynx exclusion device and that fisher that had been coming in, we caught him. I didn't tell you, son. I saw another set of fisher tracks over there yesterday. There's another There's another fisher in that same area. Funny, like last year we caught three fishers right here from the house. And apparently we need to get on the snowmobile and get some more boxes out and get going on that. But anyway, what I'm trying to say with this is we did see a couple of guys hunting with dogs. We saw a truck go by with a dog kennel in the back and then a few days later we saw a guy walk by we just saw the bottom half of the guy um, and and we had and had a bird dog in front of him so we knew there were some bird hunters there and I thought you know what um, I'm I'm not gonna set my traps here I'm gonna wait and and it's right by the house so I could I could trap there anytime so I waited till most you know bird hunters are gone and there's we got a foot of snow on the ground nobody's up here bird hunting none zero um, everything it's almost the end of the season there's 11 days left of trapping and bird hunting season so uh, I figured we'd be all set so last night I went down and I set I made four sets on that and I added I added some more bait uh, I hadn't baited it for a couple weeks um, and I made four sets uh, MB550s two dirt holes a flat set and a trail a blind set on a trail and I did a big YouTube, a big video on it. Hopefully, I'll be able to put it up on YouTube at some point. 
And I I set it. It was right about dark when I finished setting, so I I wasn't really expecting much yet. And I don't even know when the animals are going to be moving back through there, but I checked this morning, didn't have anything, whatever. So this afternoon, I was putting some stuff together to get ready to go down the road and try a little bit of ice fishing. And I see a truck parked down by on the road below the house. And it looks like a guy is parked right about where either he'd be stopping to look at our cows, which we get a lot of people doing, or he was going to go across the road on the wildlife management area. And a lot of people do hunt that uh, from people from out of state or down state because they either look on their map or they look on their Onyx app on their phone and they see that there's public land there. So they go, even though you can pretty much hunt anywhere here, it's even most of the private land around here is not posted anyway. But um, anyway, we, we do happen to get a lot of bird hunters there. You know, a lot, by a lot, I mean, you know, maybe four or five over the course of the season, maybe half a dozen. So I see this truck and I'm what is he doing? I looked in my binoculars and the guy's got a couple dogs and he's getting out and he's got an orange hat on. I thought, oh no, he's going right down to where my traps are. <laughs> so I went down and I, I drove down, drove over there and, and uh, stopped and talked to him. Just, just wanted to let you know I, I set some traps down there yesterday. So, uh, you know, I, I really wouldn't want your dog to get caught in the trap or anything. So he was thankful for that. Really nice guy. And he was one of the guys that had been bird hunting there earlier, he drove uh, three and a half or four hours. I think he drove four hours to, this morning to come up here and hunt birds because the bird hunting is so much better here than it is in central and southern Maine. So uh, he had a couple dogs out, and, and I assume they had a good afternoon. It was just so beautiful. It was like warmed up to like 25 degrees, and the sun was shining, and there was not a bit of wind. It was just a beautiful, beautiful afternoon. So I hope he shot a couple birds. I hope his dogs didn't stray over to where the traps were. I'm pretty sure that they appeared to be very well-behaved dogs. So, And he, he knew right what to avoid at that point. So uh, just kind of funny that that happened. And then I went out ice fishing and got out on the ice. There was, yeah, um, my son is mentioning that uh, I bought a sonar unit a Humminbird Ice Helix 5 and that thing is just unbelievable and been kind of saving up money and, and thinking about buying that for a while and the the big trigger uh, for that purchase was the fact that I'm not going to Alaska this winter so going to have to do something to kill time and, and under ice beaver trapping uh, when you don't have very many beaver around or many places to, to do it, it you know there's only so much of that you can do so so I'm um, I'm getting going with that thing, yes, son. And I think we did a video on that. Uh, we did a video. I don't know if I'm gonna put that up. I I haven't decided yet if I'm gonna do any YouTube videos on on the whole ice fishing side of things. And if, and if you do put, and if he does put it up, you should watch that video. <laughs> yeah, this little guy is just uh, obsessed with YouTube. He watches all kinds of stuff. What's your favorite YouTube channel? What's the Canada one that you're talking about? Ants Canada. Ants, Ants Canada he watches. <laughs> it was the a couple days ago. Yeah. You found a new one. All right. So anyway, thanks for that. Um, yeah, I was out on the ice and I was out there for another really quiet spot. Uh, of course, nobody had been out ice fishing. There was, 
it just froze over a few days ago and there was about between four and six inches of ice. I was just near shore trying out the, the new sonar unit and uh, just testing out, a, chipping out a few holes and truck pulls up. Like, huh, okay, just, you know, someone going out for a Saturday afternoon ride and, and is curious how much ice is on the lake. And guy comes out and he says, what are the chances your name's Jeremiah? <laughs> it turns out it's a guy that uh, is, has watched all the YouTube videos and bought lure on uh, from from uh, my store and and bought the Walter Arnold book and everything. He's a trapper who has a camp up here and was just uh, just up up at camp for the weekend. So that was it's pretty amazing the people that you run into. It's it's uh, it's kind of cool. So that's what's been going on up here and. Uh, hopefully we have a little activity at the traps tonight or tomorrow night and we'll, we'll check those for a few days before we pull them. Um, only again, got a few days left in the season. So, uh, be nice to get a, a couple of, uh, fur pelts before the end of it. And the fur is nice and prime right now. So let's do a tip, a shout out, a book and an ask our popular segments of the show. So the first thing, the tip for this week's episode is kind of an off-the-wall one. You know how we're always thinking about ways that we can uh, find uses for fur? And there's only so many things. you kind of got to get creative. You know, we, we look at, you know, fur hats. Uh, my friend Josh from Alaska made me a hat, my wife a hat. And we, we've been wearing those hats like crazy. We're wearing I wear them around the farm. I wear it, wear it out when I'm out uh, in the woods and it's just the most comfortable thing. Fur is awesome for hats. Fur is awesome for mitts. And beyond that, you know, you can do scarves and vests and, and a few other things, but uh, face, warmers? face warmers, maybe. Yeah, that might work. So you're going to help me brainstorm, son? But we've been thinking of different things to do with fur. And I found an interesting one this morning. I was actually out working on my ice shack that I'm hopefully going to put out on one of the lakes here locally. And I had where you close the door of the shack, there's a gap of about a quarter inch, and cold air comes through that gap. And I was looking for weather stripping. Yeah, I went inside the house, and I found some stuff that I, it was a little bit too thick. I didn't think it was going to work. I looked around the storage unit. I looked everywhere. Finally, I went to the fur shed and just looking for anything I could use to fill that gap. And I found a piece of an old beaver pelt that I had I dried. I never had tanned, but I had dried it, and and I can't remember. I think it was really damaged, and I never ended up sending it to get to sell it. And I kept a chunk of it just in case I had some came up with some use for it at some point. And I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give this a shot. And so I think my first the first time I'd seen this was. My friend Jim up in Alaska, we were in Fort Yukon, and it was like 20 or 30 below, and we went into his house there in town, and I looked on the side of the door, and there was some fur there as weather stripping on the door. It was, I think it was muskrat fur, <laughs> and that must have been in the back of my mind today when I put that beaver fur. I cut it into strips that were about half an inch thick, and I nailed it onto uh, the spacing between the door frame and the door of the ice shack. 
And so now I have beaver fur weather stripping. And I like it so much, I may even try to do that on the house. It really is amazing because the way that fur is so you know fluffy and soft and light, when you go to close the door, it completely the fur completely fills all the air gaps, but it also allows the door to compress against it. So it can be it can be very uh, compressed as opposed to something like foam that doesn't really expand and compress much. So just another thought, a tip for you, if you're looking for a use for fur or if you get some cracks in the house and the windows and doors, try some fur as weather stripping. Let me know how it works out for you. Now, tonight's shout out is to Toby Walrath. He is a trapper from Montana. He's also an outdoor writer. And Toby's written articles, I believe Trapper and Predator Caller, or now it's called The Trapper Magazine. He's he's written quite a few trapping articles for them. And I, I always enjoy what he writes. He's got a lot of good stuff there. And I noticed an article that he wrote that showed up on OutdoorLife.com, Outdoor Life Magazine's website, called Riding with the Martin Men. And this was an article focused on Martin trappers in the mountains of Montana, which was pretty amazing because when I lived in Montana, I, I ran a, a Martin trap line for a couple of winters, and it was a pretty awesome experience. And, and uh, so I could, I could really uh, kind of picture myself with these guys. It was, it was really cool to, to read. So maybe I thought I'd I'd read a little excerpt, a little bit of that article. I don't want to read the whole thing, but you can go. I'll provide a link to it uh, in the show notes here, and you can go read that at OutdoorLife.com. Riding with the Mountain Mar- Riding with the Martin Men. These extreme Martin trappers explore the deepest corners of the backcountry in the dead of winter. This was written on December seventh, and the picture is an old trapper who is all bulked and geared up and he's in the up in the mountains and it looks like his snowmobile is tipped over and he's got snowshoes there on the snowmobile and the, the machine is on its side and he's in quite a predicament imagine that it's mid-january and the thermometer reads 20 below zero the snow in the pass is roughly eight feet deep although it's difficult to tell with drifts that could bury a bulldozer it's dark and lonely up there on the mountain but for true Martin men like Guy Kempthorne, all that matters now is that the season is half over and it's time to move. Hidden among Rocky Mountain vistas and dark stands of lodgepole timber live Pine Martin, small weasel-like creatures with dark fur and an insatiable appetite for just about anything edible. Pelts from these Martin are used worldwide to make clothing for warmth and fashion. Every single one of them is brought to market by fur trappers who specialize in adventure. Serious Martin men are a little-known group of tough trappers who work in near secrecy. It's not because they're hiding from the world, but rather the world simply can't find them. They travel the most difficult terrain to ply their trade and brave brutal conditions. There isn't a pile of money waiting at the end of the three-month-long season. In 30 years, Kempthorne has seen averages of nearly $100 per pelt and lows of just $15. It takes three months to accumulate 20 to 40 Martin when things are good, but it makes no difference how much the pelts are worth and how many Martin are caught. Martin men are driven by more than profit to run their trap lines. There's a few really cool pictures here and some quotes from the guys and and a bunch of different uh, uh, paragraphs on different different parts of the story. So that was 
that was a really good story. I don't want to read the whole thing because it's probably some sort of copyright law that would prevent me from doing so. But I, I think you guys would enjoy that. And, and shout out to Toby. He is an excellent writer and I enjoy reading his stuff. The book of the week is Manly Hardy. Manly Hardy, 1832 to 1910, The Life and Writing of a Maine Fur Buyer, Hunter, and Naturalist. <clears throat> this book was published in 2005, compiled and introduced by William B. Crone, who was a professor at the University of Maine, Orono, when I went to school there. I'm not sure if he's still there, if he's retired by now, but um, he put this together. And Manly Hardy was quite a character. This book is very difficult to find. It looks like the copy I'm looking at on Amazon is 100 bucks right now. And they only published a very limited amount of them. It is an incredible book. It is just some awesome, awesome history of the woods of Maine. And Hardy was, was a guy that... I'll, actually, I'll probably do a more detailed overview of this book when I finish it. But he was... His father was in the fur business in Brewer, Maine, which is central part of the state, back in the mid-1800s and along towards 1860s, 1870s. Manly kind of took over that business from his father, and he bought fur from all over the state and parts of New Brunswick and Quebec. He had a keen sense of observation and an eye for detail, and he really knew the woods, and he spent a lot of time in the woods. And he did writing for magazines like Forest and Stream. <laughs> so th the guy had a lot of interesting things that he wrote down. Basically, it, the gist of it is there were so many neat things going on in the woods back then and so much history that we don't hear about these days, uh, with the exception of that which was actually written down and preserved for future generations. So the fact that Hardy wrote a bunch of this stuff, and he was not a BS artist, so he didn't tell stories and exaggerate. He was kind of really legit, like tried to get down to the truth and the facts of what, what was going on. And so he, a lot of his observations, you know, people look back on and can really take with, uh, put a lot of value on the species that he observed and their their numbers, their abundance, their distribution, and and things like that. So at some point I want to read to you at least uh, a good portion of the story that Hardy wrote called A Fall Fur Hunt in Maine. And in that story he went uh, he went into northern Maine and with a partner they built a cabin and they trapped for I believe it was a little over a month. They lived in that cabin and they trapped for Martin, Beaver, Otter, Mink, Fisher, uh, and other species. It was really, really amazing. Uh, I mean, just fascinating, fascinating stuff. So, uh, a big shout out to Tyler from Maine who lent me his copy of the Manly Hardy book. I really appreciate that, Tyler. Thank you so much. And I'm almost done with it, so I'll get in touch with you and find a way to get it back to you. But uh, thanks again. It is just a, a really neat piece of history. Finally, the ask. I didn't really have anything to ask for. Uh, thank you guys so much for continuing to tune in. Thanks for all of the new people that are finding the podcast and emailing me and let me know 
how much they enjoy it and people asking questions. It's it's always great to to hear your feedback and to get questions from you. But my son did mention since he's watching all these YouTube videos, he hears everybody say uh, requests for people to subscribe to their channel. So my ask today is if you have not already subscribed to the Trapping Today YouTube channel, please go ahead and check that out. Okay, hit if you didn't hear that, hit the thumbs up button and the notification bell. Appreciate that. The YouTube is kind of exploding recently. The last few videos I've put up on uh, Martin trapping in northern Maine and beaver trapping have gone kind of viral. And we've got, I think, over 3,000 subscribers now and growing. So get on that. If, if you're not already watching those videos, please check them out. Now moving on to other topics, Israel banned fur. So that's just another in a long line of kind of confusing uh, situations where, you know, California, you had the California fur ban, there was some talk of a fur ban in New York. Uh, just, it, it makes you wonder sometimes what people are thinking when we have a a natural resource like fur that is renewable, that is responsibly managed, that is way better for the environment than the petrochemical uh, products uh, that are part of mainstream society these days. And uh, it it's, it's incredible though, but I mean, we got to understand there's a lot of people that don't think the way we do. And they live in places where they're completely isolated from nature and they put their human brains inside of an animal and think that animals feel and think the same things that we do. So they they feel that it's cruel and um, inhumane to harvest animals. So it uh, looks like Israel says it intends to ban the buying and selling of animal furs apart from in specialty approved cases making it the first country to do so. So let's hope this is not a sign of things to come. Um, I I don't think fur is really a big thing in Israel anyway. What, one of the things you notice, like these fashion companies that are are stop are discontinuing using fur for the most part, those are companies that never really used much fur to begin with, so they weren't giving up much. Just like banning trapping in California, there were like a hundred licensed trappers left in the state. So you know, you when you get to that point where it's not that big of a deal. Nobody puts up a fuss over it, so it's unfortunate, but it's also, you know, it's probably not going to really change the, the fur industry to any extent. So I, I guess I won't get into the details on this, just to let you know that that's what's going on there. I wanted to provide you with a little bit, oh, let's, let's get, first let's get into um, something on fur prices, and then uh, something going on in Minnesota. So, this is an article on the recent uh, situation with COVID-19 with the mink ranches having to uh, kill uh, large numbers of mink throughout Denmark and the potential impact on the fur market. I've had a couple of you ask me about this. <clears throat> I do maintain that I, I really think supply supply is an important aspect of things, but really the the demand side of the fur market has been so incredibly depressed that 
that that side of things seems to have much more of an impact on prices than actual supply. So it it's I, I've talked about this a lot in the past, but you know this is fur is in my opinion a commodity, but it doesn't always act like a commodity such as uh, grain or cattle or hogs. You know supply and demand are very important aspects of pricing, but because there's a fashion aspect of fur and because fur can be a bit of a luxury item for a lot of people, there, there's it's a little bit more complex than that. So simple supply and demand doesn't always, um, it, there, are, there are other factors that can override that or make it less important than it might be with other commodities. But this article is titled, Flying Fur Prices Put Fox in Focus as Mink Call Sparks Shortage. Denmark's coronavirus-driven mink call has put the fur business in a spin, with industry officials expecting fashion houses such as Louis Vuitton, Dior, and Fendi to snap up fox and chinchilla to fill the gap. The global fur trade, worth more than $22 billion a year, is reeling from Denmark's decision to kill 17 million farmed mink after COVID-19 outbreaks at hundreds of farms led to the discovery of a new strain of coronavirus in the mammals. Worries of sudden shortage of slinky mink pelts, of which Denmark was the top exporter, have lifted prices by as much as 30% in Asia, the International Fur Federation says. Now all eyes are on Finland, where 1 million mink and 250,000 fox pelts will soon be up for grabs for buyers in Korea, China, and the United States, and elsewhere next week. Auction house Saga Furs plans to hold the international sale, the first since Danish call via live stream, from December 15th. Okay, so I just went over to the Sagafers website because that auction has been completed and I just kind of looked at a few of the results. Now, this stuff does not compare directly to the fur market. The prices for these ranch furs are they're they they're very different. The, the sizes are much different for a particular species and they got all these different colors and everything, but I just went back to December 2019 and compared December 2020 and just on the first glance it does not look like there is a a really huge difference between 19 and 20. Some items were a little better, some items were a little worse. So for what that's worth, uh, this article's prediction of a huge increase in fur prices uh, may or may not actually have much merit to it. The article continues, Saga Furs, which last year took over its North American rival, NAFA, expects to sell all the pelts compared with a 55% take-up so far in 2020 as a result of the coronavirus crisis. It uh, does not appear that they did sell all the pelts, for what it's worth. The market will strengthen, and increase in prices will help our business in general, Saga Furs CEO Magnus Luing said of the industry, which has seen years of falling prices. We've already had more requests about foxes. If people see there's a lack of mink, they could consider using something else, Ling told Reuters. LVMH's head of sustainability, Helen Velad, said this week the French luxury group obtains fur from Finland. The owner of Louis Vuitton, Dior, and Fendi, which relies on brokers to bid, says it's using only 100% certified mink fox and fin raccoon. 
Fur demand has been falling since the 1950s, except for a rise between 2000 and 2013 when it was popular on fashion runways and Chinese appetite for luxury pelts boomed, Lise Skov, an academic who researched the Danish fur industry, said. A typical mink pelt sold for more than $90 at auction in 2013, again those were ranch furs, while last year's skins fetched around $30. This was despite a fall in global production to just under 60 million pelts last year for more than 80 million in 2014. And that 60 million, I, I think, is a very, very high estimate. I th I've heard numbers as low as 20 million. Um, so yeah, the the article goes on and talks about um, different things going on in the fur industry as a whole. So uh, yeah, that's that's just a maybe maybe a little uptick in demand due to the lower supply. But honestly, in my opinion, it's not going to make a huge difference. Okay, now why don't we have some more bad news? Since while we're at it, right? Um, I hate to be negative, but <clears throat> group sues Minnesota DNR for failing to protect lynx. Now, if you go back to episodes 5 and 6 or 6 and 7 of the Trapping Today podcast, it was just when I was really getting started, I was much worse than I am now at expressing and talking on a microphone. Not that I'm that much better today, but I certainly was... It, it was interesting to go back and listen to those. I actually don't listen to them myself. and uh, but, it, but I get a lot of people that listen all the way back to the beginning when they start listening to the podcast. So I went over the whole Lynx situation in Maine and what <clears throat> the changes that have taken place in Maine trapping because of these lawsuits, because of the Endangered Species Act. And between then and now, you know, we were in the process and are still in the process of the delisting by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service of Canada lynx, but that is taking forever, and I have not heard any updates on that process recently. So because the lynx are still listed, <clears throat> I've mentioned this before, that th this potentially could be coming in, in every state that has a lynx population. So so you got Minnesota, you got uh, Montana, Idaho, uh, maybe Utah, there are a number of different states that potentially could face uh, face the same regulations as as we face as a result of these lawsuits. And so this happened in Minnesota years ago, and they kind of went away. They came to Maine and gave us a hard time for quite a few different in quite a few different uh, years. And they took a break for a while, and they went away, and now they're back. St. Paul, the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources is failing to protect threatened lynx forest cats from trappers aimed aiming at other species, according to a lawsuit filed in federal court this week by the Center for Biological Diversity. Sound familiar? The lawsuit says DNR is allowing trappers to continue to target bobcats, fishers, and pine martens in the lynx range, knowing that trappers are sometimes taking lynx as well. Lynx have been federally protected as threatened in Minnesota since 2000. While state trapping laws have tightened in the lynx range of northeastern Minnesota, DNR still allows trappers to set snares and other traps in the region for fur-bearing other fur-bearing animals. Lynx are regularly seen across far northeastern Minnesota, where big paws in deep snow winters give them an edge over competitors like bobcats. And goes on and on. 
Looks like uh, 16, estimated 16 lynx have been trapped in Minnesota since 2008, according to the group. And they say at least six of them died. So six dead lynx in 12 years um, as a result of trapping, according to this group. Seems uh, like a pretty uh, trivial number and nothing that would have an impact on the population if it's anything like our population in Maine. But but uh, the 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 way the Endangered Species Act is written, any taking of an endangered or threatened species is illegal, um, technically. So if the court finds that Minnesota is not doing enough, the to protect links or to avoid the taking, quote unquote taking, which is a legal def- has a legal definition of links, and links remain listed as a threatened species the state is either going to have to shut down trapping or change the trapping laws to such that they satisfy the judge that is ruling on the case. So this is not over, no doubt. This is just the beginning for you guys in Minnesota. Sorry, feel bad for you. Um, I will offer a suggestion that there are some people in Maine that have been through this process and can give you a lot of background with this this particular group and these type of lawsuits in general. We've been hit pretty hard by this. So if uh, my suggestion would be to contact the Maine Trappers Association, if you haven't already, for some advice and pointers and tips on what to do and what not to do and what to avoid when you're, uh, you're navigating this court case. Because it's, uh, it's a big deal. Guys, there's trapping in the last decade in Maine is so different than it was before. It's it's to the point where a lot of people just aren't trapping anymore. It's really sad, and it's <clears throat> becoming a challenge to uh, you know even for trappers to be able to harvest numbers of species that need to be harvested in order to balance populations and manage animal damage problems and and everything else. So the the loss of our ability to effectively trap certain animals is a direct tie to this type of lawsuit from um, from these activist groups and the status of lynx as threatened. So if you can avoid this, you want to avoid it, trust me. Um, if if uh, you do nothing and you're forced into this, you'll probably still be able to trap. I, I hope, I would hope if, you know, if if you have a supportive DNR, but it's not going to be the same. It's going to be much, much different. It's going to be far more difficult. If you've seen any of my videos with the pickup truck full of these big bulky boxes that we have to use to set body grip traps on land, we can't even set them up in the trees. We've we've got to set them in these Lynx exclusion devices. It's, it's quite a chore. So just a, a little heads up to you guys in Minnesota. And I wishing you the best, and I'll keep folks uh, updated if there's more news that uh, that comes out of there on on the status of this lawsuit. And finally, I want to end the episode with a couple of listener emails regarding the dog proof trapping uh, episode I did, where I answered some questions from a listener uh, that was looking for tips on on trapping with DPS for raccoons. Um, I readily admit that I am not experienced in this field, and so I I really didn't have a lot of expertise to offer, just things that I'd heard from other trappers and 
and read and seen, but um, some of you do have more experience. So Kevin um, wrote in and says, Hi, Jeremiah. Uh, Good podcast lately. Quick suggestion on the DP problem. So this was in regards to the problem of DPs being knocked over and uh, bait being stolen. Kevin says, Staking firm is always good, but I think Mason needs to greatly reduce the amount of bait in the DP. If you fill the tube up, target animals will eat some on the top and then knock it over to dump the rest out. I fixed 99% of knocked over with trigger fired traps by putting a very small amount of bait below the trigger. Try sheep's wool with lure underneath the trigger with a trailing scent like fish oil. Solves the stolen bait problem from mice or in the south red ants. Collect coon. He also says, on the issue of DPs, I also want to suggest regarding dogs and trapping podcasts, because that's where I mentioned that you should, uh, you could use DPs as an option to avoid catching dogs. You will miss a lot of catches if you use just DPs. If you think about animal behavior, an animal's only going to put their hand in a DP if they're really hungry or very curious. But during our season, there are a lot of other impulses going on. For example, reproductive impulses. You'll miss a lot of large boar coon if you just use DPs. For example, I was trapping public land around Thanksgiving. Put some DPs out around a creek. A lot of sign. I went five nights without a catch with the DPs. I made a pocket set with a number 11 double long spring and caught the coon that first night. He just didn't want to put his hand in a tube when he was traveling the creek corridor looking for a mate. Thanks, Kevin. That is some great feedback, excellent tips, and suggestions for Mason. And got another uh, email from Jay. Hi, Jeremiah. I'm by no means an expert DP coon trapper, but I have found a few things that work for me and can hopefully help out Mason who sent the email to you. DPs are going to fall over or the bait will get stolen at some point. I've used seven to eight different kinds of DPs, and I like the coon daggers best. For me, a two-way push-pull trigger is a must. I've not had near as much success with pull-only trigger DPs. When it comes to stolen bait or traps falling over, I don't like to use small bait like peanuts, corn, or trail mix for this reason. I add a spoonful of bait to the bottom of the trap, tuna, or some meat product, and I put a jumbo marshmallow on top of the bait, the marshmallow that's just about the size of a golf ball. I then put a drop of fish oil on it for a little extra scent. The marshmallow fits snug in the DP, so if the trap falls over, none of the bait will fall out. It also fits snug enough to make the coon work for it a bit, which is where the push portion of the trigger works great. Hope this helps out, Mason. Jay from Tennessee. All right, thanks, guys. That was some awesome feedback. It's always good to hear from you guys because, you know, there's there's enough people listening to this at some point Regardless of what we talk about, somebody has some experience that can be useful for the rest of us. So thanks so much for that. Guys, I, I appreciate you listening in. I know this was kind of a, a mishmash of different topics, and, and we jumped all over the place. Uh, next week, we'll get into more of the interview-style podcast, and uh, looking forward to that as well. Finally, it is time for the Cots Bros Deal of the Week. And this week, you again have the opportunity to get $5 off your order and double the bonus points for any order $50 or more at kotzbros.com, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S.com, just by using the code J-R-O-D-X-M-A-S. J-R-O-D-X-M-A-S. And you enter that code at checkout, and you're going to get a, 
extra $5 in your pocket and some extra bonus points that will save you money on your next order from Cotsbros. So thanks, Cotsbros, and thank you guys for listening in. Till next time, keep on talking trapping, keep on thinking trapping, and we'll catch you next week. Take care, guys.